If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 1, uh, verse 13. Uh, we are going to read two verses this morning from the book of Colossians. It's right at the end of the passage that we read last week. Uh, as Paul sort of rounds out one of these opening uh, paragraphs in the book of Colossians, uh, he urges us uh, to give joyful thanks to the Father uh, who has qualified you and I uh, to share in uh, God's inheritance that he has for us as, as people made holy uh, in the kingdom of light. Uh, it was by God's grace uh, that we were qualified through the blood of Jesus uh, for an eternal inheritance as part of the family of God. Uh, we are made holy uh, by his blood. And now Paul says we are in the kingdom of light. You and I were, were made holy. We we're adopted in. You are in the kingdom of light. You didn't earn your way into the kingdom. You didn't strive your way into the kingdom. Uh, you were chosen and God uh, qualified you. He made you acceptable, adopted you in. Uh, and then Paul's going to continue kind of that thought here in verses 13 and 14. It says, For he, God, uh, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Jesus, would you uh, speak to our hearts this morning, Lord? Uh, would you do something essential in us, something vital? Would you uh, wake us up, Lord, uh, to the reality of who you are in the world, to the way our reality works, uh, and even to uh, the war, the struggle that we were born into? Lord, may we uh, live as people who uh, kind of have their eyes wide open. Uh, who, who understand, who don't buy into the false narratives of the world, but understand the, the true narrative, the true story uh, that we're living in and, and are able to operate in that place. Uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of humanity begins in a garden called Eden. Uh, Adam is created from the dust, which is physical, uh, and the breath of God, uh, which is uh, spirit or spiritual. Uh, and we see that Eve shares in that identity, in that origin. Uh, and human beings are created uh, in this fascinating and unique place within God's creation. Uh, there are animals uh, which are physical, uh, but not spiritual, in the true sense. Uh, there are angels, which are spirit, uh, pure spirit, but not physical. Uh, and then you have human beings uh, who are both. Uh, we, we have a physical aspect like the animals, but then this spiritual aspect, the breath of God, uh, similar to angelic beings. Uh, you and I are spirit and dust. We are physical, uh, and yet you can uh, commune with God. You can know God. You can actually have a meaningful impact on, on the spiritual realm, on the unseen world. 
Uh, so humans hold this uh, unique role in God's creation, sort of acting as, as a bridge almost between the physical and uh, the spiritual. It's almost as if we have a foot in both worlds, in both realms. Uh, and uh, God makes it clear that we are his image bearers. And I could spend an entire teaching or even an entire series unpacking the significance of what it means to be God's image bearers. Uh, But for our uh, purposes this morning, uh, I want to highlight the fact that an image bearer uh, represents uh, the king to the world. Uh, That was the role of an image bearer. It was was to bear his nature, to bear his likeness uh, into the world, to reflect what he is like. Uh, into the visible uh, physical world. And as part of that job, uh, image bearers or ambassadors uh, were to uh, advance the kingdom of the king uh, outward into new territory. Uh, and, and so that's kind of our job. Uh, there's the, the sense uh, that uh, the Garden of Eden is established uh, as this sort of holy uh, center within creation. You can think of it uh, it almost as a temple that God has created where the first humans are existing, Uh, but they're not to stay there. Adam and Eve are to to multiply out. They're to multiply themselves through children and and to kind of spread out and and bring God's beauty and his rule and his reign and everything we describe as the kingdom of God was to then spread out from the Garden of Eden uh, across the earth out into all of creation. That was their, their job as image bearers or ambassadors. Advance the kingdom of the king. Bring his rule, reign, order, beauty um, out into uncultivated chaos. And we find out very quickly uh, that this king is not unopposed. In fact, God has a very real enemy. God is at war. And many Bible scholars believe that this war between God and his enemy uh, may have been raging for vast periods of time before Adam and Eve are even created. This war has been raging. In fact, one of my favorite seminary professors used to say, uh, quote, Eden was created in a war zone. So there's this uh, real enemy of God, which the scriptures simply call the enemy or the adversary. That's actually what the word Satan means. It's not a proper name in the way we would think of it. It just means the adversary, the enemy, the, the, the rebellious one who is opposing him. And, and so he's, he's leading this rebellion against God. Uh, he hates God. He wants to destroy God. Uh, but the fight is really one-sided. It's not the sort of yin and yang, sort of equal sides duking it out. It's terribly one-sided. Uh, the adversary can't actually harm God. He can't actually approach or even begin to think about overtaking God. It, it's just not possible. Uh, So instead, what the adversary does is take this this rebellion, this hatred of God, um, and and turn it against his image bearers. Uh, You can almost imagine the enemy thinking, I I cannot harm God, I cannot destroy God, but, but I can harm his image bearers. I can destroy his image 
bearers. I can attempt to undermine God's work in the physical world. And so that's what he does. He approaches God's image bearers in an attempt to turn them against God, and the plan works. We were meant to exist in sort of this beautiful hierarchy in which God is ruling and reigning and humanity is functioning under God as His servants, as His ambassadors, and then all of creation is to be flourishing under a flourishing humanity. And instead, what happens in the garden is that that entire hierarchy is turned upside down. There's this piece of creation, another created being that actually begins to rule over humanity and convinces humanity to try and place themselves uh, above God, to elevate themselves in that way. And so we uh, find ourselves very quickly, not just in a war, but on the wrong side uh, of this war. And, and this, uh, this battle rages on, and, and it actually defines the human experience. From the time that Adam and Eve are ejected from the garden, and the whole hierarchy is, re- is, is reversed, there's sort of this tragic flipping. Well, now these things define our experience. Throughout the rest of Scripture, we see humanity uh, struggling on a war-torn planet, in, in a warped reality, so far from what God intended. Uh, this reality in which Satan, sin, and death often take the day, mark our experience, define our experience in the here and now. In fact, by uh, abdicating their authority to the serpent, by coming under his influence, power, and authority, we actually become enslaved uh, to to Satan and, and the dominion of darkness, sort of his kingdom in a sense, his rule and reign. Uh, we're actually born now outside of the kingdom. We're born in enemy camp. We are born as slaves of a sort to a slave master. In fact, Scripture refers to our enemy as, quote, the ruler of this world and the God of this age. And that's a little g, God. Uh, But you get the point. Our enemy gained a position of immense power and influence over humanity. And now the kingdom of God, rather than sort of effortlessly flowing through humanity and advancing out into creation, now the kingdom of God actually has to come first to humanity, who's on the wrong side of this war. It can't just flow through His image bearers out into creation. Uh, this, This war has changed all of that. Now humanity, it finds itself sort of laboring uh, in slavery and darkness, and the kingdom of God first needs to come as a liberating message to humanity before it can go out from there. Uh, and this is the mission of God. It's to reconcile all of humanity uh, back to Himself, and in fact, all of creation, we're told, back to Himself. Uh, in fact, if you glance further down your page to verse 19, this is a verse we'll, we'll tackle next week, Uh, But it says, verse 19, same chapter, it says, God was pleased to have His fullness dwell in Him. That's Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile Himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That's, That's a stunning statement. 
The, the, the universe-wide mission of God is to reconcile Himself to all things. All of creation back to Himself. And, and, and because humanity is sort of at the center of that creation and, it, and, and holds this position of influence and authority, it's the focal point of the mission of God. But His goal is everything. Every square inch of the universe to be reclaimed for the kingdom of God. And, and so this war rages on. Humanity was sort of born into the war, but very quickly find ourselves on the wrong side in the war. Uh, but something happens at cross, burial, and resurrection that changed the tide of the war. You see, back in the garden, uh, Satan got Adam and Eve to sin and come under his authority. And after that, humanity is sort of uh, perpetually stuck in bondage to, to Satan and sin. And so we labor under that. We have no ability to free ourselves from that. But the natural result of that slavery uh, is not only the chaos and pain that we see and experience every day. Why is life so hard? Why do we see everything that we see when we turn on the news? It all finds its roots back here. So not only do we have all of that, but ultimately the result of operating in that slavery is death. It's, it's emotional, spiritual, relational, and, and, and at the end of the day, it, a physical death. That's the, that's the wages, that's the result of that slavery. But through cross, burial, and resurrection, uh, Jesus steps in and, and he takes the penalty for sin. He pays the price for all of that rebellion. He absorbs the sin of the world into himself and he puts it to death with himself on the cross. And as a result, verse 14 says that we read this morning, it says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And redemption is, is a slavery term. It, it means to buy someone back out of slavery. To buy them out of slavery, to pay the price for their release. That's what redemption means. When you say, I've been redeemed, that's what you're saying. I've been bought back out of slavery. If a family member was sold into slavery in the ancient Near East, then you could go and you could pay the price as a relative. You could, a family member, you could buy them back out of slavery. That's what redemption is. And, and Paul says, that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what Jesus did for me. I was born into a very uh, loving family, uh, but what, it's one that I would describe as an atheist family. We, we didn't believe in God. We never talked about God. It was just completely out of sight, out of mind. It was kind of a weird, outdated thing that some people do that's, not, that's just not for us. Uh, and my family uh, started off very poor, but eventually um, was very fortunate, came into, uh, I, I think, uh, some good money. And so we were uh, living for at least the second half of my life, the sort of upper class, not upper class, upper middle class uh, lifestyle. 
I had a very good life, a very comfortable life. I, I loved my life. I excelled in school. I had great friends. And, you know, on, on the outside, you would say, wow, everything looks so good. But in reality, I, 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 was, I was enslaved to, to the dominion of darkness. I, I had no hope. I, I didn't know God. I, there was, I, I was laboring under a slavery that I could barely even detect. Uh, but as I encountered Jesus as a freshman in college, uh, I, I not only became aware uh, of his goodness, of his realness, of his love, uh, of the way uh, that he felt about me, of, of, of his holiness, of his light, I became aware of all of those things. But in the same moment, I realized how enslaved I was. Uh, when his light shines in, it, it brings us to life, and at the same time, it exposes our inner darkness. It, 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 does the same, it does both at once. It literally brings us from death to life, but as it shines in, then we see, oh my gosh, there's all of this stuff in here that I'm not super excited about. And, and I realized I'd been operating in the wrong kingdom, uh, under the wrong authority, and, and as I surrendered to Jesus, I, I moved from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son He loves. I, I was redeemed. I was purchased. I was bought out from under the oppressive authorities that enslave, enslave humanity. And at the core of that, is the forgiveness of sin. It's not all of it, but, but it's part of it. It's an important part of this process. This is part of our redemption. My debt is paid, we sing. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. By the grace of God, you've been freed from sin's power. You've been freed from the power, the dominion, the authority of the enemy, and, and were freed up to walk in, in, in the freedom that's prepared for us as the children of God. Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You're set free, you're bought back. Why? For more freedom. So that you, you don't have to operate under those oppressive authorities anymore. Our story is one of, of being bought out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. So now we're in the kingdom, uh, but ironically, I, I wasn't even aware of the war at, in, until I came into the kingdom of God. I, I wasn't really aware of the dominion of darkness until I was freed from the dominion of darkness. The scriptures say, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, that was me, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, the image bearer that we were meant to be. We're blinded to that. We don't see that. And then we encounter it, and then you realize, it's not until you see that you realize, oh my gosh, I was... I was blind before. 
That was me, 100%. Odds are many of you can resonate with this reality of at one point in life being blind to the glory of Christ and then coming into a deeper revelation. But, but now that we are in the kingdom of light, uh, we've, we've been freed from the dominion of darkness, now we can once again join God on his mission. Just as, as Adam and Eve were kind of created and commissioned to do in the beginning, of seeing his kingdom advance on earth. Uh, we are ambassadors of Christ, the New Testament says. That's very purposeful language. We are ambassadors of Christ, being formed back into his image, uh, equipped to engage in cosmic warfare in a significant and victorious way. But what does that look like in our lives? Day in and day out. Uh, what does this mean for us? Uh, at 9 a.m. on a Monday morning, where does this actually intersect our lives if all this stuff is true? These are important questions to ask. And I think the answer can actually be found in the name of our adversary. Uh, he's not only called in Scripture uh, the adversary or the enemy, uh, but also the liar and the accuser who, quote, never stops accusing God's people day and night. That's what we're up against. That's, that's, that's who our enemy is. And you're far more likely to clash with him now that you're free than you were as his obedient slaves. Now he's out for blood. And the way he goes for you and me is the same way he went for Adam and Eve. He came at them with an idea. With a half-truth. With an untruth. With, with a lie. And he will lie to us about all sorts of things and attempt to deceive you in all sorts of ways, but one of the, the primary truths that he will target is the very truth that you belong to the kingdom of light. That you've been freed from the dominion of darkness. That sin no longer has power over you. That you've been redeemed, bought back. Uh, that you now rest in the favor and forgiveness and pleasure of Christ. That's the truth that he wants to, to get after. That's the thing he wants to derail you from. Because guess what? If he can undermine that, if he can strip you of that truth, it just gets easier and easier from there. He can just begin leading you, manipulating you through guilt and shame to go the direction that he wants you to go. Through guilt, through shame, through lies, through accusation, he will, he will take you to task. He will, he will pick you apart in, until there's nothing left. In, until the gospel of peace is a distant memory fading in the rearview mirror. He will tear at your soul 
until there's nothing left. So in order to be victorious in this battle, we have to start by recognizing the truth. You have moved from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's true. If you've already given your life to Jesus, that's who you are. That's where you stand. That's the kingdom you now belong to. You have been redeemed, purchased, bought back. And now your old slave master no longer has jurisdiction over you. You can imagine the many African Americans in our country who had to escape brutal slave masters in the South and, and sneak, hide, run their way and, until what? Until they crossed that border, right? As soon as they crossed that border, as soon as they made it into a free state, they were free. That was it. Their old slave master no longer had jurisdiction over them. They moved from one dominion, one territory to another, and then they were free. And Paul says, hey, that's what's happened to you. The only difference is that you couldn't have escaped on your own. There was nowhere for you to run. You were helpless. But he says, hey, Christ broke into that place in his power. He paid the price. He freed you and he brought you into the kingdom of light. He brought you over the border, so to speak, and, and into that new place of freedom. He carried you over the line. You're on new ground. You're, you're outside of the enemy's jurisdiction. And not only that, but Jesus bought you. He, he paid the price for you. Your old slave master can't even complain that you were stolen. No, no, no. You were purchased. He has nothing left to say. But our enemy is relentless. He wants you back again. He can't destroy God, but he will attempt to destroy God's image bearers. One day at a time, one lie at a time, however he can. So you have to stand on the truth. Uh, we, we can't afford to stoop to the enemy's level and begin arguing with him on, on his terms. According to his untruth. He will come with lies and deceptions and accusations. We cannot accept them as if they were reality. They're not. It feels very real. It is not real. In fact, uh, I was praying recently uh, with Bo, who shared uh, last Sunday, uh, and several others, and we were we were spending some time just praying and just waiting on the Lord. And uh, this was several weeks ago, and the Lord brought these words to mind from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says this. Uh, it's he says, and I think we have a slide for this too. It says, "Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court." Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. 
And to be clear, Jesus is talking about real human enemies and a real human court. But, but as we were praying and, and waiting on the Lord, Bo, Bo pointed out the significance of these words in the context of spiritual warfare. Hey, we have a real enemy, and that enemy is accusing you. That enemy wants to take you to court. His terms, his accusations, his courtroom. And some of us are there every day, dragged into that courtroom. Attempting to prove to the enemy why our sin isn't a big deal. We hear that accusing voice and then we try and wrestle and counter-argue and justify it and excuse it. And what can I say against that accusation? Maybe I'll talk about how well I've done since then. How much I've tried to prove myself. And it's exhausting to be there day in and day out. It's exhausting, it's deflating, and it actually blurs our vision of Jesus and the gospel of grace. And guess what? Your adversary who is taking you to court will never stop taking you to court. He'll never stop. There's no counter-argument they can give that would just satisfy him. Revelation says he never stops accusing the people of God day and night. So, so he won't stop until he's finally destroyed at the end of the age. That's the only thing that will make him stop doing that. But in the meantime, you and I have a choice to make. Will we go to court with him? Will we allow him as our adversary to drag us to court. Because it won't stop. He'll ask you for $20 today, and then $40 tomorrow, and then $60 the next day, until you've paid the last penny. He will never be satisfied until you are destroyed. Until you're absolutely broke. You cannot appease him, but you can settle matters quickly with your adversary. And this is how. You, you, you turn to him, you look him in the face, and you say, you have no jurisdiction over me. I do not belong to that kingdom. I am not under that authority. You have no authority over me. You have no right to take me to court. That's it. That's how you settle matters quickly. Imagine for a moment that you got a letter in the mail or maybe a knock on the door tomorrow uh, and you were being served with papers uh, from Hong Kong. And it turns out that there's a group of very angry people in Hong Kong they're very upset about something that you posted on social media, right? And they are taking you to court. 
They have filed papers. They have begun a lawsuit in, in Hong Kong. And they are now summoning you to come to court. And if their accusations are, are proven true under Chinese law, uh, they get everything you own, every last penny, all of it. And uh, if the jury really likes their case, you will, you will spend 20 years in prison. And after that, you will be executed. Anyone here want to respond to that lawsuit? Anyone here who would be purchasing their ticket to go to Hong Kong? No. You would reply and you would say, you have no jurisdiction over me. I'm an American citizen on, an Amer on American soil. I don't have to go to your court. I don't have to book a plane ticket. I don't have to go there. I don't have to, I don't have to risk it in court and, and possibly face all of these circumstances. I don't have to. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, guess what? You don't have to. The enemy has no jurisdiction over you. And, and Hong Kong is not the enemy, by the way. We love our brothers and sisters in China. But you get the point. You don't, you don't have to go back to your old slave master. You don't have to respond to that summons to, to go to court. You, you, you've already been paid for. You're, you're, you're a new citizen of a new kingdom standing on new soil. The enemy has no jurisdiction over you. You are free in the fullest sense of the word. You don't, you don't have to go to Hong Kong to face erroneous charges. You could say in your mind, but that was true. I did post those things on social media. I did break their law. What? It has no bearing. On, you're, you're not a citizen of that place. You don't belong to the minion of darkness. You're not under that authority. You're not under that jurisdiction. Paul says, thanks be to God, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, we've been purchased, we've been bought, and we have the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, your sins are forgiven. It's done. There's no more courtrooms. There's no more accusations. No, no one else has jurisdiction over you. The law, the enemy, what? No more jurisdiction over your life. Your debt has been paid. You were properly bought out of slavery. You're no longer in Adam. You are in Christ. You're no longer in the dominion of darkness. You're in the kingdom of light. And the dominion of darkness cannot have you back. It has no right to you. It has no authority over you. And from here forward, you can settle matters quickly with your adversary who's attempting to take you to court. You can dismiss him in the power of the gospel. 
because he has no jurisdiction over you. You live in a new land now, in a new country. You're part of a new kingdom. You're, you're a citizen of heaven. You have been purchased. You have been bought back. You have been set free. And not only that, but you've been given power. We'll end with this. This is a few verses from the New Testament speaking to our new position in the kingdom of the Son that He loves. These things are now true of you. Romans 8 says, We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Can you picture a conqueror in your mind right now? Paul says, you are more than that. We are more than conquerors in Him who loved us. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives, freed, redeemed, bought back, and now marching in Christ's triumphal procession. When are you in the triumphal procession? When you've had a really good day? When you're feeling awesome? No. He says, He always leads us in His triumphal procession. That's where you stand. That's where you march in, in this community, in a triumphal procession. Good day, bad day, whatever. Always. And finally, he ends his letter to the Romans with these words. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under what? Under your feet. Under your feet. Not, not even his feet. It's not, hey, wait around as, as helpless little creatures and hope that He... No, He's in you. He, he, you are more than a conqueror in Him. He always leads you in His triumphal procession. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Not someone else under yours. Because Christ is in you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What a way to end a letter. I think that's where we'll end this morning. Let's pray.